good. You know, that guy has got one of the great names, right? Crouch, right? Now, I don't know if you're not, you know, Alliance people, maybe you're kind of new to the Alliance, you know, you may not realize, but that, the Crouch, like that's just kind of a great name in general anyway, but in the Alliance circles, right? I mean, that, Tim Crouch, I mean, that Crouch, right? I mean, that's, man, don't you wish you had a name like that? And we got others like Stumbo, like the current president, right? <laughs> Stumbo, right? I mean, that's a great name, right? Doesn't, I, I don't know. I just like, man, I just get, I don't know. You get excited about it, right? You know, and, and, and we've got actually some great names in the room, right? I mean, we've got Thompson, right? Now in the Alliance circles, you know, that's, that's a big name, right? If you are a Thompson, you're something, right? I mean, a little bit more special than the rest. We're all at this, even at the foot of the cross, but the Thompson name, I mean, that's a big name. I, I think we even have a, a Swinburne in the room, right? Where, where I don't see where maybe he's sitting out. Oh, there you are next to, oh, next to, yeah, Dave, of course. See, all the great names sit together. That's the way it works, right? Swinburne, if you don't know, I, at least on the West Coast, that's, that's a very big name, right? Uh, I've actually got a, I, I'm kind of proud of this. I, I got connection to the Swinburne name because, so this is Doug Swinburne. He actually used to be a DS of our, of our district for some time, not too long ago, uh, but uh, loves the Lord and does a lot of great things in town for a little while here, which is great. But my claim to fame, <laughs> his brother named Ted was pastoring a church in Bellingham, and I got to intern under him. Ha <laughs> ha, how's that, right? Yeah, that's right. So I got connections to Swinburne. I mean, and, and then we've got, you know, my name, right? Vandemark. That's a great name, right? Uh, yeah, it's, it's a great, great name uh, in the Alliance as well, right? Uh, maybe not. Uh, anyway, so... You know, actually, you know, I've been in the Alliance a long time, but, uh, uh, but you know, I'm not, you know, really famous. Uh, but it's, it's crazy, isn't it? The power of names. It just means something, right? Certain names, you know, you hear them and, and they elicit a kind of an emotion or, or a reaction or, or memories. Uh, you know, the name that we carry with us, right? I mean, I, I am a Vandemark, and that means something, maybe not to Alliance or other people outside of this church, but it does mean something to me and to my family that, that there's, there's, there's meaning to that. There's, there's identity in that. There's legacy in that, right? The, the, the name that we have, that it, it means something. It has a, 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 a purpose behind it. And I find it interesting to consider, you know, the name that Jesus gives us. Now, you know, we all know, you know, children of God, right? You know, adopted into this family, right? And that's great. We know Jesus also calls us his friends, right? And what a great truth that is. But in our passage today, he calls us something a little bit different. And so I want to highlight that and zero in on this. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and actually this is a big verse for us as a, as a denomination. This is kind of our mission verse, if you will, for all of the Alliance. But, uh, it, and it's a familiar passage, which I'm sure almost everyone in this room has heard before. Acts 1.8. But listen to what he calls us. Jesus says to his disciples, the last words that are recorded from Jesus before he ascends to heaven, he says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria 
and to the end of the earth. Witnesses. He gives us a name. We are witnesses. We, we, we have this identity, this legacy that is placed on us as Jesus calls us this name, this witness. This is the last name that Jesus gives us. Again, he's about to send, and, and isn't this crazy? Right? You think, okay, Jesus' desire is for people to come to him and to know him. Then why did he leave? <laughs> right? Like, I mean, who better to tell people about himself than himself? Right? Here, let me tell you about myself. Right? It had worked pretty well for three years. Right? He'd been drawing people and all over. And then, wait, wait a second. He, he's leaving and he says, you are going to be my witnesses now? Wait, wait a second. But anyway, so he leaves. And when he leaves, he gives us his final name. You know, a lot of times we uh, today like to call ourselves Christians, and I think it's appropriate, right? I mean, we're following Christ, but of course, too often we can look at that as the fact that we're supposed to be little Christians, little Jesuses, little Christs, if you will, but here's the reality, and when Jesus gives us this name witness, he doesn't call us Christians. He doesn't call us little Christs. He says, no, you are the witnesses to the Christ. We are not Jesus. We bear witness to Jesus. We point people to Jesus. You know, we, we get wrapped up sometimes in this fear of evangelism. And part of our fear is based in the fact that we don't feel like we can, like we're good enough. Like, like you know, I'm not a good enough representative of Jesus. No, no, no. Wait a second. You are to be witnesses of Jesus, not of yourself. The very fact that we are sinful sinners that are still struggling points to the greatness of Jesus, that he has received me and accepted me just as I am. This is the truth we want to give. This is the gospel message that we share with the world. That no matter where you're at, even look at me, an evil sinner like me, he is accepted into his kingdom. This is a beautiful and powerful thing. To understand that we are the ones who witness to Jesus, but that we aren't supposed to be Jesus. The Great Commission, as we read at the beginning of the service, tells us to go and make disciples, but what are we doing? Do we understand what that means? You see, I think too often we think that it's our job to make sure we go out and do these things. But it's Jesus' job. He's the one who pursues. He is the one who loves every single person in this world. He is the one that desires to draw them into that relationship that they were created for. That intimacy, that love for all eternity. Jesus is the one who draws. He desires none to perish. He's the one who seeks the lost sheep. Our job in the Great Commission is not to pursue the lost. Our job is to pursue Christ. And as we pursue Jesus, we get wrapped up, invited in to his work. The Great Commission 
is also about the fact that Jesus is the instigator. He's the one who calls the lost. And he's the one who invites, invites us to join him in it. He's the one. He initiates it all. It, it, it's, again, we, we get confused, I think, by this sometimes. We think that the Great Commission, and I've heard it been said, I've even said it myself back in the day, uh, that, w- that our purpose as Christians is the Great Commission. That this is our purpose. This is the only reason that God left us. He left us here so that we could be his servants, so we can be his witness, so we can go out and we can disciple everyone. That this is the purpose of our life. I'm sorry, but I disagree with that perspective. It is the job that we have been left to do, but it is not our purpose. Again, our purpose is to enjoy this amazing, intimate relationship we have with the Father. That is something that will never go away. See, if our purpose is, is uh, the Great Commission, then the problem is, is what happens if we're not fulfilling it? We're failures, right? But we're not failures. The moment we bow our knee to Jesus as Lord, we are immediately successful. Our relationship that we've been built for, that our purpose is in, our purpose is to be an intimate relationship with the Father. As soon as we bow our knee to Jesus, we are successful. Now, he has a job for us to do, but his job is even not to witness. It's first of all to pursue him. And as we pursue him, the great pleasure, the great privilege, the great blessing of being a Christian, following Jesus, is that sometimes he allows us to be a part of introducing new people to Jesus. What an amazing blessing. It's amazing truth, right? We can enjoy this. We also see that in the Great Commission, Jesus is the closer. He's the closer. There are too many of us who are too wrapped up with the results of our evangelism. And this is messed up on both sides. Like one side is like we're tallying all the people that we brought to Christ. Look at what I did. Wow, I am so successful. Isn't that great? Because this is my purpose. So I'm doing my purpose. So look at me. I'm the great Christian in the room because I got like 10 salvations this year. But there's the other side where I think most of us oftentimes lie. I've never prayed with someone to receive Christ. I guess I'm just a failure like I mean, I've tried, and I get people rejecting me. Wait a second. Wait a second. Are we presenting ourselves to them? Are we bearing witness to ourselves? No, we're bearing witness to Christ. They're not rejecting us. They're rejecting Christ. We have to have this perspective that he's the one who gets the credit and the blame for how things turn out. Right? If they turn to Christ, we praise the Lord. Jesus drew them. If they reject Christ, we praise the Lord because he has given us free will to choose. Here's the shocker, maybe, for some of us. Jesus doesn't need us. Right? I mean, if it's our purpose to be the great, do the Great Commission, that means he needs us. Like, 
That means like, no, you got to do this because if you don't do it, no one will. Like, you got to make sure you happen this. I'm out of it now. This, this is up to you. You've got to do this now. Like, I, I ascended. I'm with the Father now. I gave you the Spirit, so go do this thing, right? And so, you know what I'm saying? It's like, oh my gosh, wait a second. What are we, we going to do? No, no, no. Jesus doesn't need us. This is the great thing of our current testimonies in the Middle East right now. We've got people that have never met a Christian who are having dreams about a man in white named Jesus. He doesn't need us, right? He doesn't. You know, what do we do as witnesses? Again, we're witnessing to Jesus, not to ourselves. It's not about me. I'm sorry, every excuse that you give that has something to do with you about why you can't witness, I'm sorry, that's just, you're, you're looking at it the wrong way. You're witnessing about Jesus, not about yourself. So keep that in mind. But second of all, what do witnesses do? They tell about what they've seen and what they've experienced. They share what they know. They share what they've come to understand is true. We share the gospel. The fact that we were created by God for intimate relationship. Yet each and every one of us chose to reject that intimate relationship and chose to be autonomous instead. I want to do it my way. But even the fact that we did that and we rebelled and rejected God, he still sent his son and Jesus willingly came and died for us while we were yet sinners. You know, it wasn't, again, I've said this before, it's like we weren't like making some great movement. Like we, we hadn't had some progression. We hadn't like, you know, Jesus looked down and go, oh, wow, I see a lot of potential in them now. Okay, now I'm going to go down and die for them. No, no, no. We were still fully in our rejection of Jesus, and he came and died for us. And because he did, we have the opportunity, a second chances, if you will, to decide once again whether we would like to be in that reconciled relationship with our Father, but now through grace, by grace through faith. What is the gospel message? It's that Jesus offers us life. He wants us, deeply loves us, and he, he's offering for us to be able to enjoy what we've been created for. You know, Jesus, you know, sometimes the gospel message can get a little bit confused, maybe more in the past than it is today. But a lot of times you, know, you hear people say like, you know, the street corner preacher, right? Which, man, that would be fun, right? I don't know about you guys. My, most of you guys like, probably wouldn't like that, but I don't know. I just, I don't know. It'd be kind of, kind of fun, right? Just get up and just start blabbing at people and, oh! You know, repent or die, you know, kind of, I don't know, it just, it's kind of, I don't know, it's just fun. You get stuff to get thrown at you, right? It'd be awesome. Anyway, but that's not the gospel message. The gospel message is not repent or die. It's not, the, the gospel message is repent and live. Jesus is drawing us to himself. He's not threatening us. He's not saying, hey, you better do this or else. No, he's saying, come to me. I've got something better for you. You're already in the death stage, right? I want to bring you out of the death stage into the life stage. Will you come? Will you repent? Will you come to me? This is Jesus' offer. And he offers it by grace. Again, he died before we ever made a step towards him. In the midst of our rebellion, we can't earn salvation. That's the amazing thing. It's grace. Now, grace is messed up, right? I, I don't know if you understand. Like, the more I think about grace and, and how undeserved salvation is, right, for me personally, I'm just blown away by it. 
You know, I, I, you know I've, we have to understand that grace is really grace. Like, there's no strings attached. Like, you know, a lot of times we like to add strings after salvation, right? You know, there's a salvation. Okay, yeah, you don't have to, you know, do anything. You can't do any works to get salvation. But once you get it, then you have to do all these things, right? Wait, wait a second. If you get saved and then you have to do something, if you have to live differently or have to toe the line all of a sudden, then wait, isn't that a provision for salvation, Right? Because we say, well, if, you haven't, if your life hasn't changed, that means you're not saved. Wait a second. No, no. Grace demands, and this is the crazy thing, it demands that there's no strings. That there's nothing we can do to earn it before we receive it or after we receive it. But the other thing that's amazing about grace, and this is the reality, that as we come to understand our own personal depravity, how wicked and sinful, evil we are, and how undeserved salvation really is, then we, when we receive salvation, when we experience the amazing grace of Jesus, there's only one way to respond, and that is in worship. On our knees, bowed before him, Lord, it is all about you. Romans 12, 1. In view of God's mercies, we offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you, but this is, this is, our, this is our acceptable form of of worship. This is Jesus. This is the gospel. Jesus also offers us oneness. He wants intimacy with us. You know, a lot of times the gospel gets boiled down or, or watered down is a better way to say it by saying, you know, oh, you know, it's, you know, you got to come to Jesus so that your life will get better. Like your life is all messed up and, and that's because you don't have Jesus. You know, if you just had Jesus, then like you get the promotion, like all your family relationships are reconciled. You know, you, you, you get all, you know, things are taken care of. You don't have any troubles. It's, it's a great thing, but this is not the gospel. See, Jesus doesn't promise to fix our whole life. Right? He doesn't say that it's going to be all this beautiful and, and roses and pretty things, right? No, he says, actually, that when we come to Christ, life is going to be a challenge, right? 1633, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart because I've overcome the world. This is what he promises us in, in the gospel. He promises us to be with us. No matter what life throws at us. If it's great, he's with us. If it's horrible, he's with us. You know, and, and it's true, I think anyone in this room that has gone through difficult times will, I'm sure, give witness to the truth that in the darkest days of their life, that Jesus was the most clearly present. I've been amazed at my conversations with Rebecca Moravec, and sorry, Rebecca, if you know, I didn't ask you for permission, but uh, you know, Rebecca's been battling cancer for some time now. And I had a recent conversation with her and was just, you know, it's one of those moments where, you know, you maybe not experience this as a pastor, but I don't think you have to be a pastor necessarily to experience this. But, but where you're sitting there and all of a sudden you realize, like, you know, I thought I was pretty, like, pretty good Christian. Uh, I really had a pretty good understanding and relationship with Jesus. And then as she shared some of the things that she's processing and thinking through and knowing and understanding about Jesus, I was just like, oh, teacher, teach me more right? I mean, what do you do with that, right? But it's true. And this is what salvation, this is the offer. This is the gospel, right? It's not that Jesus is going to make all of a sudden everything all better. It's that Jesus is going to be with us in the mess. 
Our hope is in eternity. That's when everything gets better. But our, our reality in this world is it still struggles. Now, uh, the other piece of being a witness is that a witness has to tell the truth authentically. You know, uh, we can't tell our story like someone else tells the story. Right? You know, we can't, you know, there's no plagiarism, right, in being a witness for Jesus. You know, here, let me tell you my story. And then I go off on, you know, how, yeah, I was in prison and it was really a rough time and I had some tattoos. I had them, I had them removed, actually. But, uh, you know what I'm saying? You don't tell somebody else's story. You have to tell your story. Uh, the witness that we give is not someone else's experience, but it's our experience. Matter of fact, if we start to play games with our experience and begin to try to draw in other people's perspectives into that, the one we're sharing, the one we're witnessing to is going to identify that and throw us out. Maybe not physically, but in their minds and in their hearts, we're done because it's not authentic. It's not real. It's not genuine. It's not our story. So we have to recognize as witnesses that we have a unique relationship with God. Everyone in this room, just like fingerprints are totally unique from anyone else who has ever lived, so our relationship with Jesus is, is totally unique. We individually have this intimate relationship with the Father the moment we bow our knee to Him, Jesus as Lord. And that is a totally unique relationship, different than everyone else. We may have similar understandings. We may have similar experiences as others, but there are always subtle differences. More than that, we are a unique personality. Our personalities are different, right? We, they're not the same, right? You know, I mean, anytime you interact, you know, how many have taken like personality tests, right? Yeah, yeah, Myers-Briggs, you know, and those kind of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some people love them, right? I've been around people that just really love them. And the first question out of their mouth is like, okay, what are you on the Myers-Briggs, right? It's like, yeah. And, and no, I'm kind of one of those that are kind of in the middle. I like, I think they're kind of good, but I also like, eh, it's a little over the top, right? But others of us hate them. Like we will never take one because that, you know, we just do not want to be pigeonholed. We don't want anybody. And why? The reason for that is because the reality that a personality test cannot uniquely determine our personality. Like, we don't fit in any of the boxes. Now, we may kind of fit mostly in a box, but there's always nuances. There's always subtle differences, subtle experiences that have changed us and morphed us and caused us to be a little bit different than what the personality you know, test says we should be. And so this is a reality that we must understand. We are way too diverse and nuanced to be labeled. And so we have to recognize that not only do we have a unique relationship with the Father, we have a unique personality and we have a unique community. Every one of us has a different mix of people that are in our life. There's none of us that are the same. Even our spouses, right? You know, my wife, you know, she doesn't do anything all day but hang out with me and my friends, right? Exactly, right? No, right? Even in a married couple where you've been together for how many years, honey? 30. 30. Nice. She's so good at that. I'm so good at that. I love that. Yes, 30 years. Yeah, 30 years we've been together, right? And we have a diverse community still. People that she knows that I don't really know. Maybe I've heard their name, but I don't know them. and I don't have that in, in influence in their life. And people that I know that she doesn't, right? And so this is a reality that we have a unique community, 
There's a unique group of people that only we know and others don't. So if we have a unique relationship with the Father, if we have a unique personality and a unique community, then that means we have a unique witness. Our witness is not going to be the same as others. There are too many of our evangelism programs in churches and books that have been read about or written about evangelism that are personality-driven. They're personality-focused. I mean, like, you, I mean, Billy Graham, right? Like, are we all Billy Grahams? Like, this is obvious, right? Are we all Billy Grahams, right? No, we, we could not do what Billy Graham did, right? We, we could not just go and stand and have this tent put up and stand there and preach a sermon and at the end go, eh, okay, now it's time. Come to Jesus, and everybody comes to Jesus, right? We don't have that personnel. We didn't have that influence. We didn't have that community. We didn't have that relationship with Jesus. Yet we have books that tell us that that's how we're supposed to do evangelism or, or cold calling, door knocking. Like, this is the way. You know, you just got to get out there. You need to go to the parks, and you need to come up, and you can get a strike-up relationship with people and have a conversation and share Jesus with them and tell them about Jesus. You know, th- these are, th- are personality-focused ways of evangelizing that unfortunately have too often worked their way into churches so that we think that that's the way to evangelize. Oftentimes our training of evangelism is training to be a certain personality. But if we're not that personality, it's not going to fit us. And then when we get out there and start to witness in this other personality, people are going to go, wait a second, this doesn't add up. Because it doesn't match. It's not authentic to who we are. So we need to recognize that we have a unique witness. Every personality is indeed called to share the gospel, even the most introverted among us. But we need to share in the way that God has created us. The reality is, is there are certain people in this world that you or maybe just a few other people will ever have access to and the opportunity to share the love of Jesus with them. And if you're trying to act like someone else, it's not going to go over very well. But if you can be who Jesus has made you to be and step in, when he tells you to step in, it could be amazing. So I just briefly want to mention a book. uh, It's called Got Style. It's a book I read some years ago now by Jeffrey Johnson. I think we have yeah, a slide there. Got Style. It's a personality-based evangelism. And one of the, thing, one of the quotes from this uh, book, it says this. It says, evangelism is effective when you are genuine and authentic about yourself in the way God has wired you. Evangelism is effective when we're authentic to who God has made us to be. That's when evangelism is going to be most effective. Interesting, couple of uh, interesting stats. 20% of unchurched people would come to church if they were just asked. And 75% of people who come to Jesus do so because of the witness of those whom they know. It's not cold calling. It's the people that are in our community, our unique community. In this book, he just briefly, he, he, he identifies six personalities, if you will, Assertive personality, uh, which is the bold and the opportunistic, you know, the door, door knockers, the standing on the street corner, you know, preaching, uh, that kind of person. Analytical, apologetics, educational, 
uh, the storyteller who is the creative visionary, the relational one who is int- about intimacy and friendship, the invitational person who's about events and hospitality, uh, and then incarnational person that is focused on needs and service. And so anyway, if you'd like to read uh, that, I would encourage you to do so. Good book. But let me close uh, the message with uh, some keys to our witness. Again, we're, we're called to be, by Jesus, his witnesses. This is the label. This is the title. This is the name that he give us, gives us. We are his witnesses. And so in order to be his witness, we need to know who Jesus is. This is both informational and experiential. Some of us really know a lot about Jesus, but we haven't experienced Jesus. So if that's us, we need to ask Jesus, show me who you are in real life. Let me experience part of who you are in the the day-to-day life of the things that I'm doing. Others of us are very experiential, but we don't have much understanding of the information. Those of us are that way, then we got to say, Jesus, give me, a, give me, a, give me a, a, the desire to be in your word and to understand and know you according to how you revealed yourself. Every Christian who knows Jesus has something to share because being a witness is simply talking about your own experiences and what you know about this guy named Jesus. Second, we need to be aware of Jesus. We need to be able to see where he's at work. Luke 10, 6, uh, Jesus is sending out the, uh, the disciples to go and witness for him, right? While Jesus is still on earth. And, and, he, and, and he says, look for the person of peace. I think this is a key uh, perspective. Look for the people in your life that you notice, like you're attracted to and they're attracted to you. Like there's this draw you can just sense, like you want to spend more time with them and they, you can sense that they feel that way about you, that this is the person of peace that is in our life and they will change over time. Right. And so to be aware of that and in order to be aware of that, we need to, we need to be aware of Jesus. What is he doing? Can we see him at work? Are we aware of the spiritual realm? The fact that he's speaking to us and revealing himself to us and that he's working around us and then we need to join Jesus and what he's doing. That's the big one. I think a lot of us know something about Jesus. A lot of us are aware of Jesus and even the persons of peace in our life, but we struggle with the joining Jesus in that. We need to step in and trust. Uh, another book, Henry Blackaby, uh, Experiencing God. This is an old book. Maybe many of you have read it. I uh, just love some of his stuff that he says, but one of the quotes is, uh, watch to see where God is working and then join him in his work. This is a reality. Like, you know, the the concept in this book is that, you know, whenever you see Jesus at work, that's an invitation to you to join him. So you see people around you beginning asking asking about questions about Jesus, like step in. Hey, I know Jesus. Let me, um, let me tell you a little bit of what I know about Jesus, right? I mean, step in. It's not just knowing Jesus, not being aware, but joining Jesus. When he reveals what he's doing around you, the people that he's drawing to himself to step into that. And then finally, again, leave the results to Jesus. Don't fret over the response. They're not rejecting you unless you're giving witness to yourself, <laughs> right? Then that's, that can feel painful. Yeah, I've been, I've been there. Uh, but uh, they're rejecting Jesus, right? Witness to him. And this gives us the freedom. You, you realize, uh, sometimes we, I don't know if we, we have this amazing freedom. When we can leave the results to Jesus, to just kind of, a little bit of kind of recklessness. Boy, it kind of sounds like maybe 
Jesus is drawing them. Okay, let's jump in. Yeah, right? You know, just, all right, it's cool, right? See what, hey, have you heard about Jesus? He's a good friend of mine. Yeah, let me tell you about it. He's a pretty cool guy. I think he wants to be in relationship with you too. Come on, let's talk, right? And like, hey, leave me alone. You're crazy. Okay. Oh, uh, all right, sweet. You know, move on, whatever. It's not my, you know, it's not, I don't have to worry about a response. God can use our bumbling and our stumbling and our dumb things that we do and say to actually draw people to himself. That's amazing. All right, worship team wants to come up. We are indeed all witnesses of who Jesus is and what he's done. So we all need to share it in a way that is true to our personality and with the people that God has put in our community. The cool thing is, is that in our church, you know, sometimes people say, ah, I don't even really know what the gospel message is. I don't know if I can actually, you know, recite that or be able to tell people about it. Oh, come on now. Come on. We're, we're a church, right? Every month, we remind ourselves of what the gospel is when we take communion. This is a reminder that what Jesus did, right? That this is who Jesus is, that he's this guy that, that came and he lived among us, right? And he was a man, like fully man, but also fully God, which was amazing and unbelievable, and we can't understand it, but really cool. And then Jesus willingly went, and even though he was an innocent man without sin, went to the cross and allowed his life, gave his life willingly to pay for the price of sin so that every human being would have the opportunity to choose to choose what they've been created for, an intimate relationship with God. Interesting in our passage that we usually go to for communion, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'll just read that really quickly, but I want to zero in at the end. So Paul's writing, instructing the Corinthians on how to do this communion thing. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then Paul goes on, For... As often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So not only is communion the gospel message, it's an opportunity to once again proclaim what Jesus has done to our own hearts, to any that happen to be in the room that don't know Jesus already, but also to take that with us as we go. We are an alliance church, which means that uh, we practice what's called open communion. That means that you do not have to be a member of this church or any other alliance church in order to participate in this family meal this morning. If you have bowed your knee to Jesus as Lord, if you have received his amazing gift, if you've stepped through that narrow gate into the kingdom of God, into the family of God, then you are welcome to join us in communion this morning. Heavenly Father, we again, we just thank you for your goodness, Lord. We ask that you would allow us 
to continue to get to know you more. Lord, the more we understand who you are and the more we understand of who you've created us to be, uh, the more we have to witness about. So Lord, allow us to get to know you more. But Lord, also help us to have the ability to see your work, to have that passion and the heart for the lost like you do, and to join you when you invite us in to be a part of that process of drawing people to yourself, that we would be that witness, that authentic witness to your goodness and to your love and to your salvation. John chapter 15, one to five, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus' name. Amen. Church, if you would like prayer for this morning, uh, for whatever God may be doing in your heart, we encourage you to come. We've got some folks up front to pray with you. I also want to say, I don't say this very often, go Niners! (laughs) Only once in a lifetime.